0: of message notes. we're going to dive into this message this morning. Uh, I'm in a series called Unstuck and Unstoppable. It is uh, based on a book that I just finished. I just wrote it's going to be released in the fall and I'm really excited about this project. Uh, began to write about. Well, I didn't even start off writing. Over the last couple of years, let I me mean, know it's been a it's been a tough couple of years. <laughs> and uh, as with anything, I don't you know start to research and look it up just for you. Uh, I, I found the best things that you preach are the things that you need. <laughs> and uh, through the last couple of years, I felt stuck. And I'll never forget. In July was probably the climax. feeling as stuck as I had felt. Uh, We had just come back from Father's Day or sometimes in Father's Day. And we thought we were going to be able to go back to church and we were shut back down. So we'd been out from March to June. And then we came back, we're like, we're back. And they said, no, you're not. And we couldn't meet. And I, I gotta be honest, I was wrestling. Like, how do you keep a church together online? Um, by then we had been with our kids and families and, 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 COVID was very interesting because it really, um, it didn't create the problems as much as exposed your problems. Uh, a lot of times we can get busy in life and not realize there are some fault lines that are happening and developing. And so I think it just, even internally, personally, uh, relationally relationally church, just every area. I just began to cry out to God and say, God, how do I not get stuck Because I I know things are happening to us, but just because it happened to us doesn't mean we have to be stuck where we're at. We don't have to be stranded. And the Lord really began to speak to me, and I I released a series or preached a series called Unstuck. And it was real just birthed out of that. And I began to study and didn't realize this at the time, but 80% of Americans feel stuck. 80% of Americans so that's eight out of 10. So every eight people, eight of you out of 10 say, I'm stuck somewhere. Maybe you're stuck in your marriage. Uh, maybe you feel stuck in your finances. Maybe you feel stuck in your physical health. Uh, you got the COVID bod working for you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on, nice and fluffy. It's, uh, I, I get it. You know? and so you got stuck and it's the, bad dis- you know, the discipline is gone and the bad habits have now come back. Uh, Maybe it's relationally with family, maybe it is financially or spiritually, but you find yourself stuck in an area of your life, I want you to know you're not alone. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Like, that is normal. I think the enemy would try to isolate you and say, you're the only one. Look, everybody around you is way more spiritual, way more disciplined, way more whatever lie he puts in your mind. And the truth is, yeah, we're different, but everyone gets stuck. And everybody has your propensity of area that the enemy attacks you in because he knows he's, he, could, he could try to take you down in that area. And so you got to know that you're not alone and that through this process, we want to help you get unstuck. And so even if you're brand new today, we want to put a book in your hand. It's a pre-release copy. So you're actually getting a copy that's not even out or been released yet. And it just is our gift to you that you take the book and read through it. There's 12 chapters. It's not a hard read. And just go on this journey with getting unstuck with us today, you know, because that's our greatest desire. I want you unstuck, but I love the last part. I want you to become unstoppable. Unstoppable. So I don't want to just get unstuck, but I want to become unstoppable. And we know the story of Paul in Acts chapter 27 and 28 is really where the whole journey began. He got shipwrecked on the island of Malta. A lot of bad things happened to Paul in his life, but the thing I love about him is he never got stuck. Uh, not saying he never had a bad thought, never saying he didn't have a rough moment where he was feeling down or depressed. I mean, there's a couple of times in the Bible he talks, they left me and they left me. And I mean, he was recognizing the condition that he was in. But what we see in his life was he never got stuck, but he always remained unstoppable. And every step of the way, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that no matter what challenge I face, whether it's well fed or starving, I can. I can do it. How? Through Christ. And I want to help us as a church, as individuals, move our lives forward and not be stuck, but become unstoppable. And I think the first thing that we have to know even today is that there are some building blocks of life that I talk about in the book. There's four of them that are essential if you're going to keep your life moving forward. If you're going to keep moving forward, you're going to keep moving in the direction God has for your life, there are four essential building blocks that you've got to focus on, you've got to put your attention on, and you've got to discover and live them out for your life. The first one is identity. We talked about that last week. Who are you in Christ? If you missed it, I want to encourage you to go and watch it on YouTube. Uh, You can watch it through YouTube. You can listen to it on iTunes at AnchorBenTX. I really want to encourage you to go back and, and, and digest what the Lord really spoke to us yesterday. The second area is purpose. Purpose is what God's called you to do. The third essential building block of life is vision. That's where I'm going. So it's not where I'm at now, but it's where God's taken me. And then the fourth essential building block is really your paradigm. Your paradigm is your subconscious habit of thought. It's what you're thinking when you're not even thinking. They say up to 95% of your behavior is subconscious. You don't even think about it. And so, what is that paradigm, that filter of your life? And we've got to discover what it is and and, and recognize the areas that are sabotaging our life. And we're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about those areas specifically. But today, we're going to talk about purpose. And specifically, I want to talk about four keys to living life with purpose. Four keys to living life with purpose. And then I'm going to end with three questions as a practical guide to help us discover our purpose. Now, once you discover who you are, which we talked about last week, now we've got to discover what God wants us to do, what God wants us to do. And it brings us to the first key, if we're gonna fulfill our purpose in life, is to know that God created you for a purpose, that God created you for a purpose. He has a plan for your life. You're not an accident. You're not a surprise. God's not like, whoops, they showed up. Let me try to figure out what I'm gonna do with them. Your parents might have said they were an accident. Oh, you're an accident. We weren't planning on you. It's like, yeah, yeah, but God, he, he, he was already in His plan. Like He had already fashioned you, He already formed you. In fact, look at what Jeremiah chapter one, verse five says before you were formed, before. Like, like before you were ever thought or a concept, he said, look, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. Now, we know here he's talking about Jeremiah, but the principle still remains the same, that if that's the case with Jeremiah, that's the case with you. And I love that word right there when he said, I knew you. You think it's a relationship? No, that word, when you break it down, the real meaning of that word is, I chose you what? Think about that. Out of all the people in the world living in all the times of the world and all the places of the world, God chose you to be right here in this time for this moment because he has a purpose for your life. I know you don't feel like it. It may not think you may not think it. People might not agree with it, but I came to tell you, God has a purpose for your life and it begins right now. Ephesians chapter one, verse four. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. That God chose us. He, he, he created us. You getting the, the imagery of what has happened? That, that God hand-selected you? That you've been fashioned by God and formed by God? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you're a chosen people. A royal priesthood a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wondrous light. Aren't you glad that God called you out of darkness? I got four people that are glad that God called you out of darkness. I don't know about you, but my life was a mess. I don't know about you, but my life was dark. There was no hope. It was hopeless. And God called me out, and he called me out, and he has a purpose for my life. The same is true with you, that God has a purpose for your life. Now, if we know God has a purpose for your life, how many know now you have a responsibility to discover that purpose? Like, that's not up to your parents. They can guide us. It's not up to your teacher students they can guide you it's not up to your spouse they can help guide you it's up to you to discover God's not going to stand next to you and your spouse and say well great you you kind of got it you know no he's going to have you and God whoever whoever you are God and you are going to have this conversation and it'll be this is the plan that I had for you and you either did it or you didn't And my greatest desire is, I want you to like church and laugh and have fun, but my greatest desire is to challenge you and inspire you so that when we cross through to eternity, we can hear our Lord and Savior say, well done, my good and faithful servant, that we have fulfilled the purpose that God had for us in this life. I don't want to live just a good life. I want to live God's life. I mean, imagine having a smartphone which uh, many of you, if you're my age, I'm, you know, 45 years young, uh, smartphones are relatively new. I mean, you know, I just threaten my kids, too. I'm like, hey, I'm going to show give you a flip phone. Yeah. Now, how many remember one day when the flip phone was pretty smart? I was like, what? Well, I got a flip phone. It was, my kids told me the other day, Dad, if you give me a flip phone, I don't want no phone. <laughs> but imagine having a smartphone, and the only feature you use on the smartphone is the calculator. Say, hey, man, I got a calculator here. You just, we can add some stuff up. What else to do? I don't know, but I got a calculator. You're not utilizing this tool with every function that it has available to do what it was created to do. You're singling out one feature and you're never living up to the fullness of the potential of that phone. I wonder how many of us, whether it's through relationships or bosses or friends or whatever it is, that people have pigeonholed you in one area and said, this is all you're going to do. And God's like, I've got so much other potential that I placed inside of you. I put destiny and purpose and I want you to begin to Stir it up because I want you to be all that I called you to be. See, the definition of true success is when you discover and fulfill God's purpose for your life. That's the second key. True success is not wrapped up in your title. It's not wrapped up in your position. It's not wrapped up in the stuff that you have. I know you have a great house and a beach house and nice cars and all the things that you have. But that's, that's not true success. It's not about the money in your bank. It's not about even the relationships that you have. It's not even about the church that you attend. True success is discovering and fulfilling God's purpose for your life. And we know that you have a purpose. Bless you. We know that you got a purpose, and I love what D.L. Moody says. Here's, here's a great quote that I learned many years ago and has resonated with me. I read it all the time. It's, your greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter, and significance in God's eyes is way differently than significance in man's eyes. See, significance is what's your title, position, how's your stuff, but God's eyes is seen through the light of eternity. What did you do with the life that I gave you? Did you live the way I created you to live? Did you impact the people? Was it an eye on eternity with my ear open to God, or was it simply measured by what I could acquire and the achievements I could accomplish? It's easy to lose sight of the purpose that God has for our lives. There's a story that I read many years ago about a man named Matthew Emmons in the 2004 Olympics in Athens. Uh, He was competing in the three-position, 15-meter rifle competition, and Matthew was the best at what he did. He was world-class, and in 2004, in the middle of the competition, he was already above everybody else's score, He was so far ahead of everyone else. All Matthew had to do was to hit the target, and he would win. He didn't even have to hit a bullseye. Just hit the target, and he would win. Not only just win, but he would win the gold medal. And if you've ever studied about these these riflemen, the thing that makes them so unique is the way that they can control their heartbeat. They're such great athletes that what they would do is they'll get into position, they'll focus on the target, and then as they're aiming on the target they regulate their heartbeat in such a way that they can pull the trigger in between heartbeats. So that their trigger and the gun doesn't move. There's no jitters. They don't jerk around. and So you have this man Matthew, he's in first place and He lines up on the target that's ahead of him and he pulls the gun up and slows his heart rate and just getting ready to pull the trigger. And all of a sudden you hear, he pulls the trigger and hits the target. Bullseye. You hear the audience gasp. (gasps) He hit the bullseye on the wrong target. Matthew goes from first place to last place with no medal. He got distracted. I wonder how many of us are aiming at the wrong target because we've gotten distracted. Maybe you've heard it said this, that you can be anything that you want to be. That's not true. Practically, yes. We live in a free society. You have free will. You can do anything that you want to do with your life. But but as a Christian... That doesn't work. The day that I got saved, the day I gave my life to Jesus, I surrendered my ideas. I surrendered my passions. I surrendered my plan. I said yes to Jesus. His invitation was to come and follow me, so I began to follow Jesus. So as a Christ follower, I can't just be anything I want to be. I can't just do anything I want to do. I've got to say, God, what did you create me for? What do you want me to do? And whatever he has for me to do, then I am called to do it. Look at Acts chapter 13, verse 36. Luke actually wrote this. See, if true success is fulfilling God's purpose in your life, then David was successful. Not because of the nations he accomplished, not because of all the accolades he had, not because of all the giants he defeated. Not because of the, the, the getting the supplies for the temple. No, David was successful with his life because look at what it says in verse 36 that he had served the purpose of God in his own generation. Think about David. Here he is, man after God's heart. He's got two of the greatest sayings that could ever be said. He's a man after God's own heart and David He served the purpose of God in his generation. Then after he did that, it says, the Bible says he fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and he saw corruption. So David understood that my life belongs to God. I am the king, but I'm going to serve his purpose. And that with every season of his life, regardless of what he was doing, he served God's purpose for his life in that season. See, sometimes you can think that purpose is a destination. Purpose is not a destination, it's a journey. Purpose is fluid, it changes. I mean, think about a child's purpose or a teenager's purpose or a young adult's purpose. You know, a primary part of their purpose is getting an education. I mean, God loves education. We don't need any more stupid Christians. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Get an education. You ain't got to be ignorant just because you're a Christian. Like, that's your primary, like that's your purpose. And, and then what else? It's being a part of the youth group and the children's ministry. And so you find your purpose. Well, then how I many know oh, there comes a day when, when you get out of school, you graduate from college. Now I'm stepping into the career that God has placed for my life. Or maybe you're starting a business. Well, that's a transition of season. And in a new season, I still have purpose. And then you get older, you get married, and you have kids. So you have purpose as a son, you have purpose as a father, you have purpose as a grandfather. I'm not a grandfather, but I can't wait till the day, not too quick. But one of these days, I'm going to be pappy, you know, grandpappy. I don't care what they call me, just call me. <laughs> just come on over. I'm going to spoil your rotten and send you home, you know? But there is purpose in the season, even though the season is fluid. And so, what we know for the third key is what is purpose? Purpose is your assignment. That's what God's called you to do right now. If you're a student, then that's the purpose. But then staying connected, it's not just one facet. That's education. What about your spiritual life? You know, in, in a marriage, there's purpose in a marriage. There's purpose in your family. There's purpose in your church. Like, like, what am I supposed to be doing right now with what God has entrusted to me in this moment? And we got to be careful. Purpose is not identity. What I do doesn't mean that's who I am. What I, who I am impacts what I do. Because what will happen is if you see your identity as a student, what happens when you graduate from college? You're like, I'm lost. I'm stuck. Because you found your identity in what you did, not in who you are. But in every season of my life, my identity didn't change, just my assignment changed. You know, I was in different cities with different people, working different jobs. Sometimes we were the the owners of the company, and sometimes I was employed. Sometimes I was employed with a for-profit company. Sometimes it was a non-profit company. Then we launched this church, and you know, my, my assignment has continued to change as we launched this church. My purpose is growing and expanding. I've been a pastor of this church. That's been my primary purpose in ministry and in my vocation and what I do. But last year, God added to my purpose to be an author. So now I'm an author and a pastor. And then one day maybe I'll be a coach and an author and a pastor. And and so, but the purpose is it's God's perfection in that season. I wasn't called to be an author nine years ago, it was now. And if I tried to get ahead of God, I would mess up because right thing, wrong time is still wrong. And some of you, what you got is you like, I, I got purpose, but you're, it's not really purpose. you got vision. Vision is where you're going. This is where God's taken you, and you've confused your purpose with your vision. Look, because you, this is what we can say. Well, if it was your purpose, you would love it. Oh, baby. A lot of things I did that was my purpose and still do that I don't love. Wow. I didn't give many amens on that. Let me just help you. There are a lot of things that you do that is your purpose that you don't love. And it's okay because the joy is not in what I do, but it's who I know. See, joy don't come from my circumstance. Joy comes from the presence of God. So when I'm with God, I can do whatever and still have joy. So you're blaming what you do, and the truth is it's not what you do. It's that you're not connected. Come on, somebody. That's how Paul, regardless, he said, I have joy in all situations. I'm, I'm content. Why? Because he was with God. He was in a relationship with God through all things. It's your assignment, your assignment. That's why Ephesians 2.10 says we're God's handiwork, creating Christ Jesus to do good works. You don't have one purpose. Like that's that's my one thing. That's it for the rest of my life. No, no, it's just gonna keep changing. It's fluid. My assignment, God, and th- this is the way I always tell God, what's my assignment? You know, if you ask God what your assignment is, God wants to speak to you. Why? Because he created you for that assignment. Some of you have been living your life according to what your parents said that you ought to be, or a friend has recommended, or a mentor said you ought to do this, and you've been distracted, you've been pulled off the target, and today my prayer is that God would realign you with his purpose and say those things are good, but I didn't create you for that. I created you for this, and that we would really have honest conversations to say, God, what do you want me to do? Not what's easy, not what I always love, but God, what do you want me to do right now? You know, I'm amazed Would you look at the life of David. Uh, David was anointed as king of Israel, uh, but it took David 15 years from the time Samuel anoints David in the field as a shepherd boy to the time he would be installed as a king. 15 years, 15 years. So the vision is God, that's where you're taking me. But the purpose is I'm going to be faithful in the field. I'm going to be a faithful shepherd. I'm going to kill the lions. I'm going to kill the bears. And then here's what I love about David. His vision never made him too good to be his assignment. His vision never made him too good to do his assignment. His vision never made him too good to do his assignment. Some of you, God's given such a great vision. You're going to do this and you're going to do that. But because of the great vision, you won't do this simple, mundane task. David said, I'm going to stay faithful in the field. I'm going to guard these nasty, smelly sheep. I'm going to attack any lion and bear. I'm going to stop the enemy from taking what belongs to my dad. He wasn't afraid of the small assignment just because he had big vision. And think about this. I always loved David. His assignment is what happened to get him to slay in a giant. See, we want to go attack the giant. David wasn't trying to fight a giant. He was trying to take food to his brothers. And some of us were too good for what God wants us to do. God, you called me to teach. I ain't going to do that. God, you called me this. Hey, listen, I was scrubbing toilets, mopping floors. You want me to bring someone food? What do you want me to do, God? I don't care. I don't need a title. I don't need position. All I want to hear is, well done, my good and faithful servant. And God, if you want me to do something else, I'll do it because I want to live my purpose. (laughs) Two greatest days of your life are the day that you're born. Happy birthday, whatever your birthday is. We actually celebrate birthday weeks. (laughs) They've tried to get our family. They wanted to do birthday months, but I'm like, that's just too much. That's just too much. Birthday weeks, and we love to celebrate it. But the second great day is to discover why you were born. God, what did you call me to do? Like, what's my purpose? There's nothing greater than uncovering your purpose. In fact, a study, one study showed 87% of Christians have no idea why God created them. 87% percent of christians no idea what their purpose is why god created them so they find themselves drifting in life just going from this to that they're aimless and that's why we as a church we created next steps today is step 1 you saw it on the video um, For us, it's the greatest way for us to connect you with the purpose that God has for you. My pastor, Pastor Chris Hodges, taught us a long time ago that design reveals destiny. And so the point of next steps is that as you go through each of the classes, you're going to uncover how God created you. You're going to uncover your personality, your spiritual gifts, so that as you say, wow, this is my personality and here's some of my spiritual gifts, then I can start to move my life in the direction that will begin to fulfill my purpose. Because remember, purpose is not a destination, it's a journey. And the greatest way that I've learned to discover my purpose is when I have served I have always learned to serve my way into my purpose. I'll tell you, there's nothing great because what you could say is, well, I'll wait till they ask me. No, 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 no. That ain't how it happens. Phyllis and I, when we transitioned from our company when we were uh, early 20s, mid 20s, and we lost the restaurant, I had three jobs, and uh, I was a part of an organiz- a missions organization when I was 15, 16 years old. I went to Nicaragua on my first mission trip as a teenager, and uh, that's also the same trip that I broke up with Phyllis on when I was 15, 16. Yeah. Boom! I'm the only person ever <laughs> broke up with her. But I told her, I said, that's why, I'm, that's why you married me, because, yeah, you guys play hard to get. So anyway... <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, so I told her, I said, hey, well, we've got a little flexibility in our schedule. Why don't we go on a mission trip? We could be a leader. And she said, that's a great idea. She's still a little bitter with the organization. She's like, this is a great idea. Let's go to a place that caused you to break up with me. <laughs> we go, and it was amazing. We didn't have a position, didn't have a title. Nobody knew us. We just wanted to go and make a difference. So, we go on one mission trip. We're in Panama on that trip and then go on another mission trip and go to Peru again. The, nobody paid us. We actually paid thousands of dollars to go on the mission trip. And then one day we're in Peru in the Amazon River, um, going down into the, the place called Iquitos. And we're riding in a boat. And there was a lady and she was sitting next to me and she said, you know what? We have a position that I would love for you to come and interview And see if it'd be a good fit for you. Well, she didn't know any of my background, what had happened. And I'd been praying for God to open up a door. And so here we are, we're in this boat. I said, yes, we'll go interview. Long story short, I go through the interview process and all from the jungle in the Amazon River in Peru on a mission trip serving my way. Just God, I love you. What do you want me to do? I wasn't pursuing it. She pursues me. I start working for that organization. And for the next four years would preach to thousands all over the world because I served my way into my purpose. And I can tell you, Steve and I used to work with an organization called Worship Together Now, uh, Worship Now, and every, every, every single organization, it was like, you just serve, you just serve, you just, and, and, and that's what I love about God's kingdom is, is that it's not about if I get that job, God, I'll fulfill your purpose. Listen, you can serve right now. You can serve in the parking team. You can serve in outreach. You can serve your community. It's like, you don't have to wait for the invitation. In fact, if you're waiting for the invitation, here's your invitation. God, where do you want me to serve? God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And then as we do that, you begin to find your way into your purpose, and it's like, wow, God, all of a sudden, everything becomes clear. It's like, that's what you created me for, but I served my way into it. Look what Ecclesiastes 9.10 says. I love this. Whatever. Everybody say that. Whatever. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. God, whatever you put me to right now, God, I'm just, I'm going to do it all the way. Yeah, I was telling our team earlier this morning, we have a huddle before our services. And I told them, I said, look, you know, we're going to go in, we're going to give everything we got. Not looking for, for, for perfection, but I am looking for perfect effort. I want us to be able to stand here and say, did I give 100% while I was running the cameras? Can we give it up for those that run the cameras, those that do the switchers? You know, while we're running sound, I'm going to do a 100%. Because here's what I know. It's, it's not about the perfection of how it all happened and what I did. It's about perfection of my effort. That, God, whatever it is you ask me to do, you want me to clean the toilets. God, you want me to set up in the, the children's ministry. God, you want me to greet people in the parking lot. Whatever it is, maybe work for a nonprofit. Maybe start your own business. Whatever it is that God's asking you, God, the whatever, I'll give you a 100%. Why? Because he's worthy of it. The everything, the all in. And it leads us really to the fourth part, which the key to this is you've got to learn to embrace the process. I think it's easy to say, I'll give everything when I like it. I'll give everything when they recognize what a gift I am. I'll give everything when they respect me. I'll give everything when they acknowledge. What you have placed in me, God. No, no, that's not what we said. Look, David's overlooked, laughed at, ridiculed. His brother talks about his pride and arrogance, totally misjudges his heart. It's not about when it's perfect. It's, God, I'm going to give you everything in the middle of this process of becoming who you've called me to be. Because that's what God allows. He allows the process so that when we get to the vision that God put inside of you, your character can stand strong. Because your gifts will take you where your character can't keep you. you got a lot of gifts. And that's the problem is the Ishmael's and the Isaac. It's like, God, you know, the the world wants to give you shortcuts to God's promise. God's like, no, there ain't no shortcut because your gifts, oh, they're there. They're without repentance. Yeah, I know you're really talented. I know you're really good. But if you bypass the process, you're not going to be able to stand when you get to the place. And David, think about it, 15 years. 15 years. You know, another great hero of mine is Joseph. Joseph had the coat of many colors, and he's the youngest. And, of, of, you know, here, here he is, the youngest brother. He tells his family, he says, you're going to bow down to me. He has a dream when he's well, yeah, just a young adult. You're going to bow down, and I had this dream. How many, if you've got a dream where people are bowing down to you, don't tell Nobody. Just shut your mouth. <laughs> they put him in a pit. They sell him off to slavery. He becomes a slave to Potiphar. He ends up being promoted in Potiphar's house. But then Potiphar's wife wants him and makes a play for him. And he says no. And now he's lied on. He's done everything right. He's a man of integrity, a man of character, a man of stature. And, and yet this woman lies on him. Now he's in prison. And then he spends time in prison, Overlooked. He tells some dreams. Hey, don't forget about me. Please tell Pharaoh about me. He's overlooked. And we find that that journey from the time he was thrown into the pit to the time he was placed in the palace with Pharaoh was 22 years. 22 years. And sometimes we can't handle it more than 21 days. Like we did 21 days of prayer. We're mad at God because the solution didn't come at the end of 21 days of prayer. Maybe it's a year, two years, six years. 22 years, the process that God had to take him through to fulfill the dream that God placed inside of him. That's why James says in James 1, 2 through 4, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces Perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What, a, what an odd statement. Ain't nobody clapped on that. Oh, Lord, joy when I face trials. Woo! Put, get a bracelet. Trials, 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 trials. We all stop at trials. Woo! <laughs> no! <laughs> Why? Because trials are tough. Nobody wants it. Why would he say that? Because at the very end of it, what does he say? (laughs) He says, look, it's maturing you. It's completing you. Like you you could get where you want to go and probably manipulate. But if you get there through manipulation, you have to stay there through manipulation. But if you just say, God, let your will be done. God, let me find joy in the middle of my trials. Some of you are in trials right now. You're walking through the most painful point of your life. I want you to know God loves you. He hasn't forsaken you. That in the midst of this trial, you can have God's purpose, help you come alive. Not that it's easy, not that you want to walk through it. But the joy comes from the relationship with God, not the circumstance I'm experiencing. God is allowing something to happen to you because he's developing something within you. Working on you. And nobody likes to go through that. I I was reminded my kids, it would be like my kids. Hey, mom, dad, can we skip school today? Anybody's kids ask, can we skip school? Hey, you know, we're all online half the time anyway. nobody cares. And then my kids, they're like lawyers. Like, you got anybody got like lawyer kids? They're like, look, if I need math... I, I, I got a calculate. I just baptized you, Bobby. Did you see all that spit? Just baptized in the Holy Spirit. You receive it. That's holy water. <clears throat> they just say, look, if I need math, I'll just use my calculator. And, and they're half right, right? And then my, I don't need to learn history. Why? Because I got Google and Siri. <laughs> Siri, what happened in the Civil War, you know? And they're half right. But they missed the point. You don't go to school to get information. You go to school to get transformation, It's about the discipline of getting up in the morning and having an alarm clock. Come on, parents. If you don't have your kids on an alarm clock, you need to get them an alarm clock. They got to get up by the alarm clock. You got to get into class. It's about the effort. It's about the hard work. It's about the discipline. It's about being around kids that you don't even like to be around. It might even be the kids that pick on you. It's like you just want to yank them out of school. But the truth is, those guys that are picking on them are developing character inside of our kids that say, I got a giant inside of that child, and I don't like people picking on them. But there's a God that says, greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. Son, you got to stand up. (laughs) Daughter, you got to rise up. And there is something that's being fashioned and formed in their life in education and school. And as a parent that's responsible, I wouldn't take that away from them. Even as hard as it is, is the things that they walk through. Well, God is a loving dad. And he's going to allow us to walk through situations because he's cultivating character. He's developing us to be the men and women that he wants us to be. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's God's purpose. God's more concerned about your character than he is your comfort. And I love this. I want to leave you with this, this Maxwell quote. I've, I've had this on my wall for a long time. I put it up. I read it all. Day. I love it. A faith that has not been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Is God testing your faith? I want you to know if he is, there's hope. He doesn't bring those situations, but he allows us to walk through them. Look, Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I love that. Go back to that first part. The Lord said, look, he goes before you. Go back to the first part of that passage. I want to see it. He goes before you and he will be with you. That no matter how hard the journey is on your purpose, think about it. God has gone before you. He's, not even just, he's gone before you. He's already prepared the way. Are you walking in the path that God has prepared? I want to leave you with these three questions. Three questions. This is the practical. Practical things. What am I doing that I should stop doing right now? If I'm going to live my purpose and fulfill my purpose and discover my purpose... You need to answer this question. What am I doing that I should stop doing? See, if we're honest, we've all got things that we're doing. We're busy. People love to fill your calendar up. But the question is, did God fill your calendar up? And every one of us have got the stop question. I got to stop doing that. Stop doing that. So what is it? Because if you get so busy, the devil, I'm convinced he can't steal your salvation. So he loves nothing more than a busy Christian. A distracted Christian. You go into heaven, but you didn't fulfill your purpose. Look at what Proverbs 4.25 says. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet. Take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right. Do not swerve to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Don't get distracted. I'm telling you, don't get distracted. Second question. What am I not doing that I should start doing? So what is it? Maybe it's going to next steps. Maybe it's serving on a dream team. Maybe it's going to the outreaches. Maybe it's, you know, uh, starting the business. I, I I don't know what it is, but what is it that God is saying? I want you to start doing. Maybe maybe it's coming to prayer on Thursday mornings at 6 a.m. Maybe, you know, maybe it's serving in the children's department. I I, I don't know what it is, but what is it that God said I want you to do? But you haven't started doing, start doing it. Look what James 4, 17 says. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it. Look what the Bible says. It's sin. So if you feel like God has asked you to do something and you're not doing it, it's not like, well, maybe, oh, it's okay. The Bible just calls it black and white sin. So what is it that I need to start doing? Then the third question is this, why not do it today? Why not do it today? 2 Corinthians 6, 2. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation.